building up godly men for a better tomorrow. This is On the Edge with Ken Harrison, where we inspire men of integrity to put faith into action together. And now, here's today's show. Kevin and Andrew Palau, you guys, uh, sons of one of the greatest evangelists in all the history of the church. I mean, there's there's Moody, there's George Whitfield, John Wesley, Billy Graham, and Luis Palau. And uh, how awesome is that? And uh, we're really sorry for your loss of your dad recently. But on the other hand, uh, what a rich welcome he must have had into the kingdom of heaven when he got there. There must have been a parade for him all the way down the street, right up the ground. Yeah, thanks, Ken. We appreciate that. Yeah, it, it, it's been a joy to be able to think about that in the midst of the sadness of missing a dad that we, Andrew and I and our other two brothers love so much, love so much. And uh, he set an incredible example. And and yet he made it feel very normal to be a Palau and not weird. I mean, I don't know, I don't know if that kind of makes yeah. sense, but it's like he... He and mom somehow raised this because people will ask that a lot. What was it like? It felt very normal and very calm and no, not a lot of pressure. Yeah. Which there's a bit of a mystery to that. Like, how did he raise us well and to follow the Lord, but without feeling this oppressive, yeah. legalistic pressure that makes yeah. a lot of people crumble? And we were born on the mission field. My little brother in Mexico City. I was born in Columbia. These guys in LA, in the LA, Bay, in the area. Bay Area. Yeah. And um, which is the biggest mission field of them all. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah. Portland maybe would be right up there where we live now. Yeah, right. You guys but are they, when yeah. we moved to Portland and we were younger, it was because mom's was from Portland. And um, uh, but the thing was that nobody really knew who Luis Palau was around Oregon in those days. So a lot of people feel like we had a lot Good of pressure point. growing up, but we didn't really. And we yeah. weren't. He wasn't the pastor. So that the intensity of the pressure that sometimes comes to pastors, kids in a congregation, everybody watching, I didn't really feel like we that felt that really either, you know, so yeah, that is a, a little different point. than people might imagine. People didn't know, like it, it wasn't in Latin America or certain places, people in Portland, Oregon, Beaverton, Oregon, where we lived, they didn't know who Luis Palau was. So we were just regular kids growing up at Cedar Mill Bible Church, going there every Sunday. We didn't feel like we were jet setters or the people should treat us differently or that people should necessarily know where we were. So that looking back, that was like a huge gift of the Lord that I think protected us from a lot. I remember when Luis came to our church in on the other side, we were on the the wrong side of the Willamette River. So for people <laughs> yeah, who don't know, beautiful and, mountains. Yeah, there's the West side, which is where all the rich kids live. Then <laughs> <laughs> I came from Gresham, boring Damascus, which was where all the lower middle class kids lived. And I remember your, you guys coming on a Sunday night when I was like eight and Andrew and I were talking. I think you and I got in trouble together. Your, your fault. It would have yeah. been Andrew. It wouldn't have been Ethan, my twin brother and I. Yeah, we were rural. Euros or Euros were older, but uh, yeah, we were running around and I remember my mom coming out and, and some other lady screaming. And, and uh, but I do remember your dad speaking because I remember afterwards my parents saying, "Well, he's really famous and he's this guy." And I'm like, "He, he didn't seem like he was famous." So you're right. You know, he was just so humble. He was so approachable. Even an eight year old boy thought that's he was it. just that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people will say that about dad. You know, uh, men in particular, business leaders, and other people, just like, "Oh, 
he was such a regular guy. I was intimidated. I wondered what he'd be like. And then he was just the, the most normal average person. Yeah. You know? Unpretentious. Somehow you're right. People, some of you don't even know how to articulate it, but like there's something real authentic is maybe overused, but I mean, and I remember dad, dad felt like he, dad grew up in a pretty legalistic environment, wonderful in many ways, but very legalistic down in Argentina. And, and it was this guy, Ray Stedman, who pastored a great church, Peninsula Bible Church in Palo Alto, who was the one that God used to bring him up to the U.S. to go to Multnomah School of the Bible, where he met my mom and why we live in Oregon. But I remember uh, dad talking about this guy, Ray, who was a pastor of this big church, but he was like a normal guy, a fun-loving guy who joked around. And dad's experience was like, that was not the way that... Uh, leader in the church and it was it, there was kind of a bit of a I guess yeah legalistic environment and with with Ray he found someone that was like a man's man and and enjoyed life and didn't feel guilty about enjoying life because he was walking with Christ and he was free in the Holy Spirit and 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 because dad's dad had died when dad was only 10 years old he was looking for a father figure and this pastor Ray Stedman was the father I mean dad had a great relationship with his own dad as long as it lasted. But then in Ray, he found this incredible godly man, but that it was real. I, sorry, that, that was a tangent just from what Andrew was saying. It's like, yeah, dad learned to be himself and joyful and fun loving yeah. and not putting on a show, which yeah. unfortunately a lot of people think Christians or especially Christian leaders are, you know, acting a certain way and then hiding yeah, and the pressures the are there. The temptation is to do that, to protect yourself, maybe guard your family. It, it, it's not uh, unreasonable why it happens, mm. but to to have an example like dad, like Ray was to him, where you say, you know, trust the Lord. Uh, that authenticity is what people long mm. to know. Like, am I going to be okay? Is it just me? Am I the only weird person that has these ideas and thoughts and struggles? These and, insecurities. Yeah, to just and, acknowledge yeah. it and say, oh, yeah, I'm like that, or just even... Dad would preempt it and tell stories about himself and the family. People like, weird, you can't do that. But then they resonated with it. Then you could get to the fact of the matter about the gospel and biblical teaching and all Mm. the things that God used him to to impact us and so many. Mm. So for so many people who maybe don't know who Luis Palau was, um, tell us, uh, you know, give us an idea of the impact he had. Mm. And anybody who's watching this now, if you start to Google, you'll see him in front of monster crowds. But uh, talk about that, the association with Billy Graham, all that stuff. Well, you know, yeah, you know, dad, dad just had this feeling pretty young that he was called to be, he wouldn't have said it this way, but there was no Latin American doing what Billy Graham did when dad was a kid. So dad was the first person that God, by his Holy Spirit, just kind of nudged and said, you can you can do this. You can unite the churches across all the denominations to do big things for God and proclaim the gospel to lots and lots and lots of people. And of course, it took a long time for that to develop. And, and Billy Graham was a huge practical and spiritual help to dad. Dad and mom, right when they were first married, went to Fresno, California, 1962, Billy Graham crusade and spent six months as like unpaid interns and just learned everything they could, took that unashamedly, put in, put it in Spanish, and that was like the playbook for how we did things for decades. So, so by God's grace, yeah, all around the world in 80 different countries, 
I think uh, altogether, I mean, tens of millions of people in person heard dad proclaim the good news from bull rings to soccer stadiums to festivals that we would do in, in Central Park in New York City and on, on the, the mall in D.C. and on the beach in Fort Lauderdale and, yeah, anywhere. and, you know, all over the world. So dad just was tireless in wanting to share the good news. And he did it in he thought big and through the media, radio and television and um, had a heart for helping others with the gift of evangelism. And he was open to being creative, too. And he wasn't threatened by other people's ideas. We were the ones, Andrew and I, you know, the younger generation that would that would kind of begin to say, hey, you know, the the old style kind of crusade approach was amazing for its time. But things have changed. And, you know, rather than being like, what do you know? I've been doing this for a long time. You know, go start your own thing if you want to mess with my thing. <laughs> you know, and in, in our home, we, we shifted to anyway, the, the gospel doesn't change, but the hot, you know, the methodology of how we deliver it continues to adapt. And Andrew and his wife, Wendy have that gift. Andrew's the main evangel, you know, is the Palau evangelist now. And so the work has continued through, you know, more, um, you know, 60 years now. So we continue on, but dad, dad was uniquely, gifted. We're not trying to be the next Luis Palau. We're just continuing in the same footsteps of how do you unite the church and proclaim the good news and impact cities? What would you say, Andrew? I mean, Andy, yeah, was, I think that's right. I mean, the, the big, he, one of his famous longtime messages he taught at pastors conferences and preparation for festivals at, at Christian camps all around America and the world and everywhere he went early on, especially, and then he kind of came back to it again, but dream big dreams was a, a challenge, a biblical challenge that God, you know, whatever he calls you to do, be ready to do it. Um, and uh, so he, he found that balance of really being full of faith to do massive things that most people would say, you can't do that. That's just overwhelming, costs too much money, or there's a thousand reasons why bigger things find it dif difficult to go forward with. But even as he did that, one of the things that lends to that idea of authenticity as well was he he really cared about the individual. It was very evident. He loved pastors in particular. He taught us to love the local church and mm -hmm. pastors. He served them primarily, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, obviously, obvious to the pastors. Like he wants the crowd. He wants to win souls, but he cares about us and our in our groups, our denominations, our individual mm -hmm. churches. And he cares for the, you know, the maid in the hotel room, the taxi driver, uh, and, and, he, and he also wasn't uh, discouraged by small things. You know, I mean, we, we often talk about the big things because that was his goal and we got there in so many ways. But along the way, he knew, you know, God says, do not despise the day of small things. And so he would take on any town or hamlet across the UK, he did hundreds of villages and small things leading up finally to a, one of the coup de grace of his ministry life was you know, uh, 16 weeks, I think, in yeah, London, mission England, to London, mission yeah. to London. So he just had a great balance of understanding that, you know, you have to um, you have to serve even a, a small city. Everyone coming together is so full of miracles. The idea that a small city would be easier to come together to do something is a, is not really the reality because of, you know, obvious things. Sometimes smaller cities are harder uh, because everybody knows each other too well. And there's it's harder to bring distraction and, and, and deviate from, uh, you know, history and historical splits and those various things. 
But he loved the small, he loved the individual, small cities, medium-sized cities, but especially the big cities. And so that that's kind of, I think, a, a, a legacy on the broadest level for his mass campaigns. Yeah. You know, for people like us who've been walking with Christ our whole lives, we forget that other people don't know. You know, I'll say James Robinson, expect everybody just knows who James Robinson well, is. Oh, for sure. No, we always are describing. No, I never assume that anybody knows who these people Yeah, you go I'm into cities, it's amazing. Explaining, like, yeah, you know, if, and then even Billy Graham, this is a crazy thing. It used to always be easy to just say, well, dad was kind of, and there's a Billy Graham of Latin America. But even now, I, I typically will kind of joke and say, you know, and a lot of you younger people probably are saying, I don't know who Billy Graham is. I mean, I don't think that's quite true yet. Most people do. But let's face it. I mean, things change so quickly. Yeah, they do. Um, you know, it, it, again, our lives are like a vapor. It's just like, wow, you put all the energy into creating a brand or a name. And how quickly, whether it's in the world of sports or music or anything, like yesterday's news, but we got this message that's timeless. And that's the thing. If it's not about us, but it's about the kingdom and this movement that the Holy Spirit began called the church, we can kind of rest and not be so uptight that it's that our name is, you know, not as big as it used to be or whatever the situation. I have less, you know, Facebook followers than I used to or whatever the thing. Yeah, I, I find it hard to adjust to uh, how many, how few people really things that you just assume everybody knows and they don't know. Like, you know, people are like, well, who's Led Zeppelin? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Why are, you, why are you even living if you don't know who Led Zeppelin is? I know. Yeah. I used to say when we first started the festival model, I, I sort of had, because of my experience, I felt like people resonated in our generation with like what a Grateful Dead concert was. And I would say that and people were like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Now I say it and it's like Jerry's been dead for 15, 20 years or something. And people don't even they're like, what is what is that? Or you what know? would that be like? Yeah. yeah what was yeah. it like? What would it be like? like? Oh, never uh-huh. mind. I got to stop using that illustration. Well, Andrew, you're pretty you're a pretty talented speaker yourself and you really get a lot of the anointing, although that's another overused word from your dad. But I mean, four boys, how did, how did you become the one? Like, was it, um, was it an easy process? Was it obvious or did you guys like have a fist fight over it or? What seems really obvious now, like, of course, Andrew, like there's four boys. Andrew is the most like dad and therefore he's probably going to be the one. So that might seem obvious now, I guess it would have been an impossibility 27 years ago because I never even walked with the Lord until I was 27. So, um, I just rebelled against the things of God from the youngest of age ever since you led me astray at that church that one night and no, that's not true. I I really started, I partied hard and just really went after all the obvious, sad, common things of the world, alcohol, drugs, and all the relationships of the lifestyle through the age of 27. And so I think for many years, dad had said my, my grandmother, when I was born said to dad, this is going to be your evangelist. And he kind of held it on to it like a prophetic word kind of thing, which he wasn't really. She, she was not charismatic no, in the theological sense at all. I'm not even sure if she, if she meant it that way, but dad absolutely took it as like, I'm going to hold on to that. Yeah. All those years. So all those years yeah. and I'm far away from the Lord, but he just had this uh, measure of faith to say, not only I, I do, I kind of hold on to that word, but you know, I hold on to the power of the gospel. Like, even though it seems impossible, this kid could never even, will he ever come to the Lord was a question, but to be a, 
you know, in ministry, serving the Lord, preaching the gospel, that that wasn't very obvious. So, but he never he had trust that the gospel had the power of God to transform, and uh, so he shared it with me personally. Kevin got it, you know, Kevin and his brother, my brothers would share in their own way, and everybody was on it, praying. Dad would write me letters, go one on one, and then he invited me to a festival in Kingston, Jamaica in 1993. And at that place, uh, you know, the Lord really captured me and I was soundly radically converted, healed of my addictions. And, uh, you know, he gave me new desires in my heart and just really transformed my life. And so from then, um, I just wanted to serve the Lord because I had been so radically rescued. I wanted everyone to experience what I'd experienced, but it I never thought I would be preaching. That was the furthest thing from my mind. For we weren't thinking of that way at all, yeah. honestly, at all. He just he was his, he was Dad's assistant because Dad was trying to disciple him, and then he started directing like little some really really tiny, not even festivals, little tiny outreaches in you know around um, the gosh, Parkdale, Oregon. You know this little tiny town. It's like above the base the of Mount Hood. Less than a thousand people, and and um, you know Cannon Beach and various kind of things. And Andrew just became one of the festival directors. And I, what I remember, the way I kind of remember it is Andrew and his wife Wendy, and at the time, two their two boys. Now they have a daughter as well, but they were living in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Andrew was directing that festival, and Wayne Heisinger Jr. You know, he was, he was the president of the Miami Dolphins. His dad founded Blockbuster Video and Auto Nation, and waste management, et cetera. And Junior was a brand new believer. And he was chairman so of the He was chairman of the festival because we always try to get, you know, someone that, that has some, a business person of credibility. Like when we did Houston, it was Bob McNair who owned the Houston Texans. And so Junior was the first person, as we called Wayne Heisinger Jr., who I remember saying to me, and I know he said to dad too, like this guy, Andrew, your brother Andrew is an evangelist. And we were like, well, because what did what he mean? Ever. Like, he was a brand new believer. He just said, well, I'm not a genius. I know, but it's like everywhere we go to tell the vision of the festival, Andrew shares his his own story naturally, because that's the story that he's got to share with people. And he will give the gospel with tears and give people a chance to respond. And people always respond like, isn't that what an evangelist does? So, June, you know, again, out of the mouths of a in a sense, like a spiritual babe, I mean, a new believer, he's like, I don't see how you guys aren't seeing this. But that was years of Andrew and Wendy kind of wrestling, like, is that what Andrew's called to? And Wendy happens to have like this really evangelistic passion as well. And so God's grace, it, it definitely was not pushed or imposed, though I can say that. Yeah. I never felt that at all. So, isn't it that, uh, you know, you went astray and then became like the main mouthpiece, just like Frank Franklin Graham, with whom your dad was so close, went astray, mm-hmm. then became the main mouthpiece. Yeah, it's great to serve together. You know, everybody in their gifts and Kevin is the president and the CEO and we've got a great board and they helped us in this process to use wisdom and, and get everybody in the right places. And so we, we just feel honored. I, I think, you know, I felt a lot like Moses. Um we work with hundreds of evangelists around the U.S., around the world. Increasingly, that's part of what Dad started with Kevin mm-hmm. and uh, is serving other evangelists, just like Mr. Graham helped Dad and so many others. Um, many of them just feel an early call and they want they just want a crowd. And I, I would be more like a Moses kind of 
character where I just, it just never crossed my mind. And it frankly just didn't seem like a very sound idea. It's ridiculous, frankly. I mean, I'm sympathetic to Moses when he said, you know, I don't speak so good. I don't think he spoke great, but he just didn't want to do it. I think he probably didn't speak very well. You know, he, he probably wasn't the best art at articulating things, but God had said to do it. And I had to come to terms with that. Like, yes, I, you, 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 you don't have a lot of experience up front, except for just sharing your story. It's not like um, you are a champion uh, a, a, a up front, but I've told you to do it. Are you going to do it? And as I began to say yes, he began to open doors and give the words and find the connecting points. Like, yeah, there are incredible Bible teachers that you'll never be like them. And you'll never be like Luis Plow. But if you'll just be faithful to do what I've asked you to do, you're going to find favor in it and you're going to see the fruit that I've put in your heart and mind and spirit. He gave us the call. He gave us the vision for big cities to carry on in this festival model. And, and he just continues to open the door. So I have a feeling we'll turn around in our big run of the next 25 years or however long he gives us. And we'll just be shocked at, at what he'll do as we just kind of obey and mm. push forward. And, and dad was big on just like, you know, the word of God, the local church, holiness, walk in obedience, you know, enjoy life and love your wife and, you know, you'll find that your life is like a vapor and you'll turn around and he'll be welcoming you saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Who did you bring with you? You know? So we kind of try to, I just feel like just keeping it kind of simple like that, even though it's intense and you work and it's battling uh, for souls, it, it, it's a joyful proposition. I think that's another thing dad always really wanted people to realize is like walking with Christ is, is the abundant life. He didn't say it that way to trick us. I mean, in the world, you will have tribulations was a big yeah. verse that his yeah. mom gave yeah. to him. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I think she knitted that, like crocheted on a thing and put it on the wall. That's not the main promise you want to see on your wall, probably. In the world, you'll have tribulation. I think she left the next part off even, but it was in his heart and he, and he lived it and transferred it to us. And we're mm -hmm. really, really thankful. And, you know, Wayne Jr., you mentioned Wayne Jr., yeah. he came to the Lord much in part to a Promise Keepers event. So we love Promise yeah. Keepers. And when I was young, just got saved and started serving dad, one of the greatest joys of my life was going with him mm -hmm. to the Promise Keepers events and saying, wow, you can be a man of, you can be a man and walk with God and have camaraderie and enjoy life mm -hmm. and, and to see so many men singing and coming before the Lord and receiving mm -hmm. the Lord. It was, it's powerful. Yeah. And uh, we're looking forward to exceptionally increasingly great days ahead to win many many men young men and seniors to the joy of the lord let me ask you a question i mean andrew you're um you're one of those things that there's so many parents um across the world who have kids gone astray and they wonder they, they pray for their kids all the time and they're heartbroken and they don't know what to do and then they hear your story and you're like, okay, you, you were raised by this great evangelist. I mean, he's going around getting people saved all over the world and his own son wasn't. And then you heard the message a million times. I mean, it's like, you know, my la my latest book that came out, my one son said, you know, he just graduated from Wheaton college and he's like, well, I haven't read it yet. And my wife's like, you haven't read your dad's book. He's like, I'm hear him all the time. I've heard all the stories. What I need to read his book for. Right. I mean, that's the attitude. You, you you sat through all that stuff with your dad. What was it in Kingston, Jamaica, that caused you to get the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Man, you know, the, the Bible says, you know, no one comes unless the Lord draws them, right? 
And, and so you just, there's some great mystery to it, but the, the things that I always try to emphasize is that, that I know that they did and Kevin mm. was living it out. So you might add even mm. greater insight to it, but you know, they prayed and they lived the life and they shared the gospel. Those are the main things they did. They prayed faithfully. They knew if anything good was going to happen, they were dependent on God. They had tried everything. They'd done everything in their power. They weren't perfect, but they were changed and they're expressing the love of God in the best way they knew how. And they couldn't figure out why is this kid so loved the world. And I, I had a rebellious heart, but it wasn't like an angry, like fighting spirit. It was just kind of like weaselly, wormy, follow the path of least resistance, love to party, don't want to cause trouble, you know? So that's a hard rebellion to really uh, approach in some ways. So, but they prayed and they said, look, there's power in prayer. We've known it all our lives. We preach it. We're living it. We're going to live it with this kid. So that was huge. They lived the life. I think the testimony of dad, again, not perfect, but mm -hmm. change increasingly working through the things that were not great in his life. Um, and, uh, you know, being honest to us about things that he'd done wrong, apologizing, working towards change. So when you're a kid, that's just super annoying. Like, why is dad telling us about that he's sorry and we need to forgive him for, you know, saying a bad word or whatever. And it's like, oh, but he was serious about it. And, you know, later you realize like, wow, that's what a young man need. That's what is a father who, who is humble and will apologize and, and, um, be authentic with the kids. And, and, and later you're like, wow, everything else is crumbling. That thing that annoyed me so much is really, I guess that's what I really want for myself. I want to be able to change. I want to know there's hope for me and I'm not stuck in these patterns and I'll never change. So living the life prayer, living the life, that testimony, which we know has power. Uh, and then the, sharing the gospel, you know, that's the other thing they knew they would share the gospel through writing letters, through sending me books, don't give up on the books uh, through sicking people. Kevin tried other friends tried and those seeds were sown and watered and there are awkward moments. Almost every one awkward rejection. You'd say, Oh, he's rejected it. And, but very valuable um, work. And then who knows why the mm -hmm. Lord, Holy spirit of God had orchestrated my life and circumstances. My parents weren't aware. They were just like, we can't give up, give it a try. I wasn't aware. I didn't go to Jamaica thinking I've got to figure this thing out. I was just moving along in, 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 in that world I was in, but God in his mercy just um, re revealed himself to me, softened my heart, opened my eyes so that when the gospel came, it came on a, on a prepared heart. That So I was able to say, wow, if this is real, I want to know. And I began to search and question and God quickly um you know, uh, responded to my appeal. If you're real, I want to know what's keeping me from you. I asked him at one point, and that was a mistake. If you wanted to stay in your sin, I said, what's keeping me from you. And he opened my eyes to see all the garbage in my life and what mm -hmm. it meant, how dark it was, the chasm between us, what my future held in that path. And it was horrifying. And I just, I just repented in that moment in tears. And it was, a, it was kind of like a Paul, getting kicked off his horse moment or Isaiah, you know, in the year the King Uzziah died, I was in the presence of the Lord. It was a radical moment. Not everyone experiences that, but that was my experience. And it, it was like a moment of massive transformation and healing um, that from which I began to then grow. It's mm -hmm. been 27 years. I was as long a believer as I was an unbeliever now, right in the middle. So I'm, 
I hope that's helpful and encouraging for people who are praying. I would say never give up. Just believe, uh, revive your uh, faith uh, to pray that it has power, that your testimony is making a difference. And in God's good choosing, dad's famous verse at the end of his life was, as for God, his way is perfect. So in many ways in life, you have to just rely on the Lord that his ways are perfect somehow and believe for him. Never give up. We got to take a quick break. And when we come back from it, um, I want to find out what are your plans now, Mr. COO, for yeah. uh, what, what, where are you going to go now? And also I have one follow-up question for you, Kevin, I want you to think about as we flip over for the break, which is how were your parents able to do this and not make you feel judged or condemned? Because mm-hmm. I think that can so often be the challenge for a parent pursuing a child or a spouse pursuing their husband or wife is how do I encourage them but not make them feel condemned? Mm-hmm. We'll be right back after that. Today's episode is brought to you through the generosity of Waterstone. For nearly 40 years, Waterstone has assisted givers in supporting their favorite charities, like Promise Keepers, by crafting customized, innovative giving solutions. Waterstone gift strategists stand ready to create your personalized charitable plan, utilizing business interests, real estate, appreciated assets, charitable trusts, giving funds, and more. These donor-specific giving strategies allow givers to bypass capital gains taxes, receive a fair market value charitable deduction, and have tax-free growth for years to come. Prioritize income, minimize taxes, and optimize your giving with Waterstone. Find out how to give and receive the most from your assets by visiting www.waterstone.org. And now, back to today's show. All right, talking to Andrew and Kevin Palau. And uh, this has been an awesome conversation so far. And there's one follow-up question I have for you, Andrew, before we talk about what's next, which is what so many people want to know. You were astray to the age of 27. You hear your dad for the umpteenth time, and suddenly, boom, you get saved. Hmm. Talk about how your parents and your brothers continue to pray for you and counsel you, but how were they able to do that without making you feel judged or condemned or like, shut up already? And how did, mm-hmm. you know, what advice can you give to, to parents out there or spouses right out there trying to do that? Yeah. Well, I think the, the, we've talked a lot about this, but the, you know, the genuine relationships that we had growing up, regardless of what our spiritual perspectives were, uh, that was real. Like we were, we had a, we had a lot of fun as kids. We wrestled and we had clubs in the neighborhood. And so like for Kevin and I and his twin brother, Keith, and my little brother, Steven, like we just knew each other. We knew each other's hearts. So if anybody ever was like, um, challenging me about spiritual life, it was always done in love with a, which I would know would be very genuine and, out of concern for me. And I never did feel that, that kind of judgment. Um, just, just, I would know that like, man, if Kevin is willing to write me a letter, how amazing that he would like care for me enough to, to show that kind of concern. And I, I guess that's not everyone might respond that way, but that was what was in my heart. And that's how our relationship was. So, and then when I, when I came to the Lord, you know, Kevin and Keith and Steve were right there, you know, so thrilled and had been obviously praying and hopeful and welcoming me and helping me in all the ways that they could. And then 
you know, when I started serving here to be embraced by Kevin and Keith, who were working here, my little brother's an elementary school teacher here in Oregon. Um, it, it's just been like, it feels very natural, but I guess as, as, as you go along, you realize there's enough other kinds of relational realities in families that, that, that isn't like that. So all I can do is kind of speak to my experience and that's kind of what, what I experienced along the way. Um, well, we have, you know, yeah, you know we you have, there's of? 12 Palau grandkids, you know, Sean and I have three kids and my friend brother Keith has four and Andrew and Wendy have three and younger brother Steve has two. And so, and they're from 10 to 29. Well, you know, when we, when we're all, it's the same thing now for this next generation, there's no guarantee. I mean, some are walking with the Lord genuinely just on fire. Some are wavering. And it's kind of that we, we're trying to create that same environment of love and unconditional um, family. So, so like when we've had some of the grandkids that aren't where we'd love to see them be, there's never been a sense of like, well, you're kind of not really, we really would not, we, yeah. you can't come to the all Palau family, Central Oregon, you know, Black Butte vacation. We're, we're leaving in less than a week for that. I think, you know, there's that sense of like, even when we disagree or where there's some, some of the tension on the spiritual side, there's still full familial kind of love. Yeah. And so I think there was never a break in the, in the relationship. And if, unfortunately you do see that at times, you know, you know, lines in the sand and like, if you don't behave in this way, there's that distancing. And I, and I just think then there's no opportunity for the, well, there's always a whole opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work. Nothing can stop that. But I think you, you, you don't, you just don't break the relationship ever. And so we're, yeah. we're praying for every one of the 12 Palau, you know, Luis and Pat Palau grandkids, our kids to fully walk with Christ. And I think, you know, I, I, that's great, Kevin. I also think that, proper a proper biblical foundational understanding of what the circumstance really is dad always emphasized you know hebrews and isaiah say the same thing right all of us like sheep have gone astray each one has turned to their own way but god laid us on jesus the sins of us all you know that sense of like you know we're all unworthy we all have our path kevin had his path i had mine mine was humanly a little more egregious and sad and longer Kevin's, but, but we all have to make that. I think when you have that proper understanding, it's, it takes away the consideration that like these, these are the good ones and these are the bad ones. And it, it, it's sort of like yeah. a more whole, wholesome, realistic understanding that like, we're not going to give up on this person. We've all been there. So I'm well, not sure I, that's one helpful. thing that would encourage people too. I think, you know, dad was in the hospital. It's been about three months since dad went to be with the Lord and whether people know who he is or not, they could probably identify this guy three years with stage four lung cancer, feeling great. Then the last month when things went downhill, he was in the hospital for 12 days. For the first time in his life, he'd never been in overnight in the hospital. But when he came out, the, which was like only about 10 days before he went to be with the Lord, the, the, all he wanted to do was get one-on-one -on -one time with each of the 12 grandkids. Yeah, his dying wish. That, and yeah. so he, with literally almost his last breath, he spent an hour or so with each and every one of them, either encouraging them like, you're walking with the Lord, keep at it, blessing them. And for those that weren't, aren't really walking with the Lord or are just filled with doubts and various things, just one last, just pleading and love and to hear in the smaller family, family memorial service, to see here each of those 12 
the, the absolute passionate love they have for grandpa, how they felt seen and heard and just unconditionally loved every one of them, their faith. I mean, I, we were all encouraged that even some that we were a little unsure of there, there was more faith there. There was more, I guess, bits of maybe green shoots coming up out of the dry ground. At least that's always a parent's hope, you know, that the, the seeds that were planted in Sunday school and all the things that they're, that those are still there kind of lying in the ground, waiting for the sun and the rain to kind of eventually bring them yeah. up. Beautiful. It's amazing how your pop loved people all the way into heaven. He right never, in the end. Yeah. I think all of that story of George Whitfield when he, to whom I compared your dad, George Whitfield, when he died, um, he'd prayed. I think he preached like three sermons that that day while he was deathly ill. And he got up in the middle of the night, his uh, manservant, as they had in those days, uh, said, and he could, was having trouble breathing. And he said, I'm having trouble breathing, but I think if I push through, I, I, I can't wait to preach the word of God tomorrow. And five minutes later, he was dead. Wow. You know, mm. All the way to the yeah. end. Yeah, right to the mm. finish line. Press into the tape. And there's a lot of stories of people not finishing well. Mm. That's discouraging. But think there's I I always like to think, and I think it's true, there are so far many more that do finish well and do finish strong. We just don't talk about them as much. It's not as not as interesting well known. Yeah, maybe not as well known, but so many finishing strong. And and we can believe uh, don't get overly discouraged by those who don't. And but it also is a good caution and reminder that that's something dad would often talk about, you know there, but for the grace of God, go I, you know, we all have to walk daily with the Lord in the word, um, and, uh, and in the spirit, uh, otherwise, you know, we, we could all fall, find ourselves in those kinds of, uh, traps and, uh, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, we know that about ourselves. So like, what's next for you guys? What's next? Well, you know, the, I mean, the good news, I think, is that what's next is kind of the path we'd already been on. So praise God, our board had the foresight 10 years ago to say we got to start doing our succession planning. So I'm president CEO. Andrew's not like new evangelist for 15 years. Andrew's been uh, in a sense, like co-equal with dad doing as many of the big festivals. And we've had some of our best fruit and the, the most productive or the most people responding to the gospel of any of our Latin American festivals ever was the one in Bogota, Colombia that dad couldn't go to. And Andrew went because at that point, dad's cancer didn't allow him to. So um, praise God, the festivals continue all around the world. We do that. We have this global network of evangelists where we, we aim to see as many as 10,000 other people with the gift of evangelists, men and women, we're forming like a hundred kind of networks of evangelists in different countries. So for 20 years, we've had a mostly North American relational network of evangelists, but now we dream of a Colombian and an Argentine and a Latvian and a Ghanaian networks of evangelists because the Holy Spirit gives this gift to men and women, but often they don't know exactly how to best exercise it. And how do I best hone my gifts to reach as many people as possible? So we love to continue that. We do a lot uh, in media and have for 50 years on radio and then decades in television. And of course, now lately, digital evangelism, even last year, 2020, when we weren't able to do but one festival because of 
the pandemic, we saw actually more people indicate a commitment to Christ last year than in any other year in the history of LPA because we were able to share the gospel to millions of people um, through Facebook and Instagram ads that tried them to the Hope With God website. There's now 20 million people that are part of this Facebook community um, called Hope With God. And uh, it's been remarkable to see almost a million people indicating a commitment to Christ from about 100 different countries last year. So live events, helping other evangelists, encouraging unity at the, in local churches, city after city, and then just sharing the gospel in the, the, the current ways that people can share the gospel. And when that pandemic hit, you guys were prepared. Well, You're God really prepared us. Preparing. And I would He's say so this, good. yeah, God is so good because we didn't have a developed digital evangelism ministry, but one of our major donors, a high-tech business guy, had, had invested millions of dollars over seven years to develop this whole thing called Hope with God. Six months before the pandemic, he came to us and said, here, you take the whole thing. I've taken it as far as I can. So right when we needed it, God provided for us this sort of already well-developed with some amazing staff. So we weren't starting from scratch. Yeah. So we're, we're still learning a lot about the world we of digital. I thought we were geniuses. Isn't that- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish. But um, yeah, God, God's, God's goodness. And I think yeah. it's the faithfulness. People saw in the Palau Association because of dad, slow and steady wins the race. Vision, working with the local church, credibility, keeping your nose clean, all the things that give people confidence. Like I can, I think I can trust these people to steward the gift of the gospel and to steward my finances or whatever it is. You know, they saw in dad a a person of of good character and, and we certainly aim to continue that way with the dozens of other amazing staff here at the Plow Association. Well, you guys were amazing when you did uh, part of our virtual podcast last year. That was fun. Yeah. We didn't have a, a CEO as good as, as yours. Um, <laughs> so I was not prepared. Um, we were we were dug into the last second saying we were going to be at AT&T. We weren't going to relent. And the governor of Texas's office is called and said, uh, yeah, you are not going to that stadium. And so we had 45 days to put together a virtual event and and you guys were a part of it. It was really amazing. And well, we had one well, to watch that thing in 84 countries and crazy. We have proof that the Lord can use where he wants to do what he's going to do. And we just get the pleasure and the, and the joy of being a part of that if we will just obey wherever he has us in our own gifts. Remember in Philippians, when Paul had such a big vision and he lands in jail and you'd think he'd say, dang, I guess I misunderstood that. And instead he said, what's happened has only served to advance the gospel. And that's what you guys just yeah. turned quickly to say, what are we supposed to do? Not like, oh, well, maybe we heard it wrong. That was that was very encouraging to us all. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny as, as we sort of get into the, a little bit of preaching, and which is what the three of us are good at. Um, how many Christians... As soon as there's a wall in the way, um, well, I guess that wasn't the will of the Lord. Well, where did we ever get that idea? I mean, I'm just thinking about Jeremiah. His whole life was just getting the crap kicked out of him. Mm -hmm. Literally. I mean, you know, lowered down into the sewer and stuck there and then proven right. They still did this. You know, they hate him. They they beat him. Jeremiah's whole life was nothing but an abject failure in the eyes of the world. Mm -hmm. Where do we get the idea that it's supposed to be? 
easy and comfortable. No, it's so true. I mean, I think, yeah, we, we need to expect that we will be opposed. There's always going to be opposition from the gospel. It's more discouraging when the opposition comes from within the body of Christ and without, without. And, and of course, anyone that's been in ministry, a deacon at a local church or a youth pastor at a church of 50 people, I mean, you know the tension. And nowadays, I mean, it feels like the tension is even stronger within the body of Christ of opposition and, and people are so free to share their strongly held opinions about you name it. But I think, yeah, we shouldn't be surprised. The New Testament, the Old Testament is full of people that had to persevere. Mm-hmm. And the promise is that I will be with you. The, you know, the, you're going to have trouble, but don't worry because I'm I'm with you. So you have everything you need. You've got a message that is uh, life changing for anyone that will receive it. And um, so, yeah, I think we can encourage each other. Things like this podcast, PK yeah. in general. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people that serve the Lord. I was encouraged. We had Carrie Headington, who's an evangelist in, in Dallas. Uh, at, with, the with, Episcopal the, with the Episcopal Diocese. Diocese and yeah. she shared at our chapel today. And she reminded me, I'd heard this before, uh, you know, that with you and God, you have a majority, right? And so we shouldn't have to work. We're so encouraged by being part of a majority of something, right? You get ushered along. Like, I'm not alone. I got the crowd around me, you know. But but uh, with the Lord, you walk in obedience, what he's called you to do, the world and other things will conflict with it. But if you just uh, stick with the Lord in the word, you can persevere as with the encouragement of that you're in a majority, even though you might, might not be from the world's standards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let's just say that those who have drifted along with the current or have taken the wide road, as our father um, would have put it, um, they don't they don't die the way your dad died. Hmm. They don't die with their grandkids and their kids all lifting them up in love and calling them yeah. glory in those moments. You know, I want to go out like that. Yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And no regrets. And that, that was it. And not and dad, not no regrets, meaning I lived a sinless sinlessly perfect life, but no regrets in the big picture and no regrets because you repent quickly and you're, and you're not hiding something. People, you know, that you, you are what you, you know, what you see is what you get. And dad was that way. And people saw it and the outpouring of, of testimonies and uh, people loving dad. Uh, yeah. It's something to aspire to. We're aiming at it. You know that you have two or three days left to live. What are you going to do with them? Your dad said, let me love my kids and my grandkids. Yeah. I love that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. He he could have, I mean, of all the things he could have done, including just say like, I'm tired. Let me just, let me rest. He had that. He wanted to go to the very end and run through the tape. And it has made, I, without betraying too much confidence, whatever, it has really made a difference in the lives of some of those, some of yeah. our kids that, you know, I drifted a bit. There's there's one that hadn't been to church in eight years. It's at church every single Sunday now in these in these last few months. And there's others that have just become open to the Lord again. So, Dad, uh, yeah, he did the right thing. Well, I'll tell you what a blessing you guys are. And thank you for being on this. And uh, I think there's a lot of people that are going to take a lot of encouragement from a lot of what we talked about. But uh, thank you, guys. And thank you for continuing to persevere because you what you're doing is more needed now than ever. Same for yeah, you, too, yeah. though. We're thank in it you together. For, yeah, we are. Yeah. Pray for mama. 
that would be a, our yeah. prayer request. Pray for Mama. She's, you know, she's doing as well as could be expected, but it's not easy. And Dad, Dad took up a lot of space, <laughs> so now it's like, you know, it's a big gap. And we, we just, yeah, what am I going to so do now? Wonderful. Yeah, to to be after sixty years, yeah. and they were in all of that together. Yeah, faithful. Right. She was right there by his side, establishing mm. things, sacrificing in all in the early days and all the way long. And so we we want to see her finish strong too now. Thanks for listening to On the Edge podcast with Ken Harrison. For a lot of you, this is our first time meeting, and I want to tell the men listening about an organization I'm the current chairman of, Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers is an organization founded by Coach Bill McCartney that's led men across the world to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Promise Keepers is calling men back to courageous and bold servant leadership. To learn more and get involved in the mission of Promise Keepers, visit promisekeepers.org. Follow on social media or download the Promise Keepers app on Apple Store or Google Play by searching Promise Keepers. Through the Promise Keepers app, you'll receive access to devotionals, Bible studies, and other great articles and video content, and a community to build friendships, lead your family, and become transformative leaders. See you next time for On the Edge with Ken Harrison. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app.